Welcome to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app for both iOS and Android devices by searching for The Church at Bushland. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know by emailing us at media at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Today is Psalm 19. If you want to get your word, uh, we'll get there eventually. I want you to listen to a quote. John Piper said this, we are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. There's a greater healing for the soul in beholding the splendor than there is beholding self. You know, we're absorbed and we live in this uh, selfie world. But I, I want you to know something as cool as selfies are. You'll be just as hungry after the selfie as you were before the selfie. You are. If you approach 10 people randomly on the street today and you ask them, what is your chief pursuit in life? You're going to hear a a myriad of answers. Money, love, marriage, sex, freedom, statue, uh, status, pleasure, peace, happiness. Nothing wrong with those answers. But that's not and should not be your chief pursuit. There's only one main purpose for which man was created, and that is for the glory of God. This is God's chief pursuit, and all that he does is to magnify himself. This, in return, ought to be our chief pursuit as believers to bring much glory to him. So you say, well, what is glory? It's a great question. There's a distinction that needs to be made between two, I guess, definitions of God's glory. Number one, his intrinsic glory, and secondly, his ascribed glory. God's intrinsic glory is the sum total of all his divine attributes, his holiness, sovereignty, righteousness, grace, truth, goodness, mercy, omnipresent, omniscient, This is God's sum total of who he is. That's his intrinsic glory. Listen to me. His intrinsic glory is going to be there whether we acknowledge it or not. But God desires to display his intrinsic glory in his works, in all creation. Then as God unveils the glory to man, man is to give him glory which is called inscribed glory, our scripture calls it the glory due his name. When we see God in all of his intrinsic glory, man can't help but understand the need to ascribe glory on him. What's missing today is this. We see God in all his glory, but we don't ascribe glory due his name. We ascribe it back to ourselves. It's left to starving, empty, and in poverty as a nation. What we've got to understand is that we were hatched, created, and breathed life into us by a God that is all about glorifying himself. 
And when we get up under that and start glorifying him through the things that we see about him, we're going to be rich because of that. Man's chief pursuit in life. This is man's chief pursuit in life. He is to live to make God's glory known in this world and to ascribe the glory due his name. In Psalm 19, this is a beautiful picture of the intrinsic glory of God, but it's done in two different halves. The first half, verses 1 through 6, is what we want to call general revelation or natural revelation, God's self-disclosure through creation. This, the first part of this psalm that we'll look at is God through nature, through, through the natural, trying to get man's attention of who he is. The second half is what we call special revelation. It's God's manifested greatness to people through the inspired word of God, the Bible. Here's the main idea that we'll look at. God has made himself known to man through natural revelation, his physical creation, and through the supernatural revelation in Scripture. What we have today in our country is simply this. We have a group of people that will hug a tree but not bow a knee. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to hug a tree, you better bow to the one who made the tree. Because you didn't make that tree. And that tree doesn't need you to hug it. But that God needs you to worship it. Because you need what that does into you. Because when you bow at the feet of the God who made you and worship him in all creation, you are quickly put in your place. And you'll continue to walk and sing a song to a God who not only made a tree, but made you. So here's what I want to do through Psalm 19. Go there. We're, gonna, we're going to try to break this down verse to verse. This is in two sections. God's glory in his world is first. God's glory in his world. This is verses 1 through 6. Number 1, look at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The heavens refers to the sun, the stars, the planets. They declare God's glory. The sky refers to the lower atmosphere where we kind of live. The clouds, the weather, and so on. They proclaim uh, his work of his hands. Listen to me. You can't look up at the heavens and see the stars he hung in. He hung those stars. He didn't say he just hung the stars, but he hung them by name. Amen. Hung them by name. Where we live, there's nothing like a summer big old rolling thunderstorm. Now, I know sometimes that water turns to ice and it can do a lot of damage. And I understand that some clouds turn to tornadoes, but they don't all. I mean, that's hard to sell today because every cloud is a tornado today. But what I'm saying is go outside when, the mountain, when mountain storms roll off the mountains this summer and watch God in all his glory. You can't help but worship him. You can't help but worship him. Verse 2 says this, day after day he pours forth speech. Mm, that's just gorgeous. And night after night he displays knowledge. I want you to go to Romans. If you're ever wondering 
what our country looks like, you could spend some time in Romans 1, and it would become very, very clear. But that's a whole other message, and I'm not going there. But I want you to go to Romans 1. Look at verse 20. Romans 1, 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Woo, I'm telling you, you can't help but look at his splendor and not know there's a God without excuse, without excuse. What he does is he reveals his character through his creation. Look at verses 3 through 5. There is no speech or language where there is voice is not heard. Their voices go out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun. Mm, Look at verse 5. Which is like the bridegroom coming forth from the pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. The sky in the outer space is a tent to which he has placed the sun, like a torch, lighting up its vast expanse above. The sun is like a champion, he says, rejoicing to run a course. That is, he is strong, he's tireless, unending, unmovable, always moving forward and never growing weary. The sky is like a tent to the sun. That's a beautiful picture. Look at verse 6. It rises at one end of heaven and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from It's heat. The sun is always at work in all places. It always makes its daily journey across the sky. It pours out its heat on every creature, making its presence felt. And watch this. And so it is with God, making himself known through the sun. You ever notice this about the heat? No one escapes it. You know, there's parts of your yard that'll be in shade at one time of the day and in full sun the next time. You know, on the west side of your house in the morning, that's the place to be. It is not the place to be at 5 o'clock. It's smoky, chilly. It's hot. When the sun makes its circuit across the sky, it goes from one side to the other, and everything feels its heat. So it is with the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, every, everyone, everyone feels its heat. The presence of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord does not miss a spot. Neither does the sun. Neither does the sun. He gives us a really good glimpse of who he is through his creation. It is simply that we can't miss him in creation. But here's the beauty of who God is. God put that forth in all his creation. And we can't miss it. We're without excuse. But God is so cool that God said, you know what? I don't want you just to see me in all creation. I'm going to send my son to die on a cross for you. So that you don't have to just know me from creation. You can know me through person. And that's where we go with the word. Second part is this. God's glory in his word. 
God's glory in his word. Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, revealing the soul. His statues of the Lord are trustworthy. What, he do, what he's going to do here is he's going to lay out six different attributes of the word of God in, in these verses. The number one, is the first part in verse 7 is the law is perfect. The law is perfect. Why is it perfect? Because it is whole, it is complete, it's sufficient, it's comprehensive. The law is a perfect law. It's a perfect law. The statutes of the Lord are what? They're trustworthy, meaning they're neither unstable or unfable. They are unwavering and movable. They are not like shifting sand. Amen. His statutes, his law, they are solid, solid, solid. You can stand on the word of God. It is an anchor that will hold, my friend. In any country, any people, anybody who builds their house on that rock will be a house that stands. He is not like shifting sand. Not like shifting sand. In verse 8, he says that his precepts are right. His precepts are right. They lay out a plan. They steer or they give direction. His precepts are right. You can trust the word of God to direct you, to steer you, to guide you, to direct you. It is your playbook. It is a love letter. Why? Because he loves you. His commandments, the commandments of the Lord, he says, are radiant. They are radiant. They are what? They're clear. They're vivid. They're brightly shining. They reveal truth. They give light to your eyes. Psalm 119, 105 says this, the word of the Lord is a what? Is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Let me tell you something. If you ever get lost, you know the quickest way to get in, to find your way when you get lost? You better figure out where you're at. You better figure out if you're pointing north or you're pointing south, you're pointing east, pointing west. And how do you do that out there? Well, you figure out where the sun is and you find out what time of the year it is. All right? And you got to figure out where you're at. So if you're in a situation right now where you're like, God, I just don't know. It's all confusion. It's not clear. It's like a fog, and I, I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You don't know what you're supposed to do because you don't know where you're at. People say, oh, Jeff, Jeff, I want to go to lunch with you. I want you to help me figure out what God wants me to do next. I'll tell you what he wants you to do next without even buying you lunch. He wants you to get right here in this word. Because until you get in that word, you're not going to know where you're at. And until you know where you're at, he's not going to be able to light your path. You've got to follow this light around your feet. And once he, once he puts light around your feet, then he takes that light that's on your feet and he begins to tilt it up. And your feet that were lit, you, you now know what shoes you're wearing. So you don't have to look at your feet anymore. You know why? Because now you know where you're at and you know your feet. Now he lights your path and now you just start walking. Do you need to look down to walk? No, you should not look down to walk. You run in the trees. He said, you put your eyes on me. You fix your eyes on me, the author and perfecter of your faith. You don't, you don't look anywhere else. You look at me. You look at me. We have a lot of people that want to figure out what God wants, but they don't know where they're at. You got to figure out where you're at to know what God wants for you. The most important question is where you're at right now. Then you'll figure out where you're supposed to be. 
He'll light your path, but he'll light your feet first. Verse 9, he says, the fear of the Lord is pure. The fear of the Lord is pure. Scripture is flawless. Truth without any error. It endures forever. The Bible, God's word, will never pass away. No that will ever need amending, updating, or editing. You will never hear them say they've come out with the second part of the Bible or the second edition of the Bible or they've updated the Bible and it's now in print. The word of God will stand. It, it can be trusted. It can be trusted. You never have to worry about the word of God. It is an anchor. It is truth. It is, is infallible truth. It is inspired by God. It is God breathed. And if it's God breathed, it can be received by you as life. Verse 9 also says that the ordinances of the Lord are sure. The ordinances of the Lord are sure. Why? They're reliable. They're stable. They're altogether righteous. They're divine standards for daily living. So in these six different aspects of the word, what he's trying to say is simply this. I want you to see me in creation, but I want you to love me through the word. I want to speak through the word. You trust the word. The word will guide you. The word will be there before and after you're gone. You can, st you can stamp your family. You can stamp your life in the word. You want to know me? Go sit on Pike's Peak and worship me. And then get in the word and hear my voice. Because I'll speak to you right here. I'll speak to you right here. Look at verse 10. He kind of changes in 10. He goes from these different principles or, or statutes or laws and all this stuff. He, look at verse 10. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Look at verse 11. By them and only by them, your servant is warned in keeping them there is great reward. Listen to me. There is great reward for a man or woman who follows the Lord. Great reward. Great reward. Now, listen to me. You're not doing it to get something from him. You're doing it because he did something for you. Because he died for you and gave you life and made you new. Out of that love, you follow him. You serve him. You give. You do. You worship. You don't do it to get something. He ain't no big Santa Claus. You don't sit on his lap and rub his tummy and give him your list. No. You ain't rubbing his. Don't rub God's tummy. That's just weird. Here's the deal. You worship him and you do. Why? Because that's the least you could do for a God who gave you when he didn't have to give to you. God is worthy of our worship. Worthy. They are more precious than gold, even pure gold. Sweeter than honey. And keeping them is great reward. My friends, listen to me. God is tickled pink and absolutely goes crazy because he wants to bless his kids so much he can't stand it. But what he really wants is his kids to bless him. If you'll get in that word and you honor him in your life and you do the things that God says, God will bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. 
I promise you. Look at 12 and 13. I know it's a lot to cover, but you're doing good. 12 and 13. For who can discern his errors and forgive my hidden faults? Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. So 12 and 13 is kind of a rhetorical question. Who can discern the errors of his way? Let me, let me help you with what the word is. See, there's many times someone might say something about you. Like say, you, you seem a little short these days. Are you, are you good? Now, what do we quickly do in human pride? I'm good. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm not, I'm not edgy. This goes on for a little while. And then you sit before the Lord in a quiet place with the word. James says the word of God is like a mirror. So when you peer into the word of God, and God through his word says back to you, you're a little tense. You're a little edgy. And the reason you are is because I'm not your first love right now. You're chasing a whole bunch of stuff, and you're pursuing a whole bunch of stuff in life, but I've become second, third, fourth, 15th, 27th. And see, if you don't drink from my fountain, you'll starve to death. If you don't eat from my table, then guess, who, what, guess what people see? You. If you don't have a personal funeral and die to self, I can't live through you. The problem right now, Jeff, is there's too much of you out there and less of me. There needs to be less of you and more of me. What the word will do to you is this. Before your train comes off the track and it's only wobbling, he'll take the pebble off the track and smooth out your course. Many times I have sat with the Lord and I have seen it in me, but I have not acknowledged it. And had people close to me, like my sweet wife, say it in all love, you're this. I in my pride will say, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then God says it through his word. Who can find the error in oneself? Not that man, but God. When you get in the word, my friend, it does all the stuff that it says before as well. But when you get in the word, it will correct faults in you. It will, it, will, it will turn your heart towards the Father. It will correct ways. It will, it will take you when you start to kind of weave and correct your driving. See, he doesn't want to establish drunk bumps on the side of roads. He wants to wake you up before you ever hit them. And the Word of God is a love letter. He wants you to stand on a mountain and worship him in all his absolute wonder for creation. And he wants you to ascribe back to him his transit, his, his, his glory to his name. He, he wants that. But what tickles him more than anything is that you, through the relationship that you have through Jesus Christ, because he loved you and gave himself for you, that you love his love letter. 
And that not only do you worship his creation, but you get in his word and you know him. And he knows you. I'm going to get you to do something for me. I'm going to ask the church to stand. I want you to take your word. And we're going to be a choir today. We're going to be a choir today. The psalmist, David, writes all of this. And then I want you to see how he ends the psalm. This is a declaration in verse 14 to God. And when you read this, I want you to hear the words that he writes. And I want us as a church, as a choir, to read it together. We're going to do it once because everybody needs practice. And then we're going to do it two times, okay? I want this to be your declaration to God. Let's do it together. I'm reading the NIV. If you're reading New King James or something, it doesn't matter. God's not going, oh, I just can't understand them. All right? He is not struggling, okay? He's not struggling. He loves his word in any translation. Let's speak his word. Because we're not supposed to be, you know, hearers only, right? But how about be doers? How about be speakers of his word? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Say that again, church. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Worship him in all his glory, in his natural beauty. Give him, the, give him worship ascribed to his name. But understand something, church. Powerful is the man and woman who not only worships his creation, but loves his word. Loves his word. As we enter a time of ministry, you may be here today and you're like, Jeff, whew, this is what I need to spend my summer. I need, my, I need, I need to be in the word this summer. I, I pray that the Psalms of the summer will, will chase you into his word so that you and him can be one in the word. He just feeds you all summer. You may be here today and you're like, man, I, 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 just, I, I need somebody to agree with me in prayer. I need this. I need this. Prayed for this. We're going to have couples down front. That's what they're here for. They're to pray over you. If you just need to come to this safe place that's called the altar, this is for you as well. If you're looking for a church home, mm, it's a good one. It's a good church. I invite you to come. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to worship. We're going we're to worship and give him the, the name that describe to him the, the glory due his name. And you come if you need to come. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Mm. Thank you for your word, God. It's so rich. And God, I pray that Psalm 19 because, becomes our anthem this summer. That God, all summer, we'll see your display of greatness in all creation. We'll see it in the heavens We'll see it in clouds and storms. We'll see it everywhere. But God, I pray that we not only ascribe the glory to your name in creation, but God, we worship you with the revelation that you give us through your word. God, I pray that we are people 
of the word, of the word, of the word. God, we love you. And Father, right now, during this time, we, 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 we will respond only to you. And so, God, may your Holy Spirit draw us as we worship. And if we need to come, we come. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Church at Bushland. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on Facebook and Instagram, by using the Church at Bushland, and on Twitter by using at TCA Bushland.